This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. I'm Brad Watson, and today I have a really good friend, a longtime friend, Duke Rivard, joining me. He's the director of the Soma Family of Churches, overseeing, uh, yeah, a whole host of things, but really a, a growing uh, group of churches that are working together to be family together and support one another, but also to see churches planted throughout North America and beyond. Duke, it's so good to have you joining us and being on this podcast. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so it's great to have Duke on for a variety of reasons. He's going to be talking about leadership development, which he's really strong in. But just personally for me, it's exciting because we've known each other for years. Uh, Duke was the catalyst or the primary instigator of seeing bread and wine planted in Portland and then... Uh, a little bit into that journey, I was I was brought in as a teammate, for which I'm incredibly grateful because I learned so much. And yeah, it's been it's been fun to see our friendship kind of grow and evolve as I've become an adult, a real adult, and <laughs> I don't know stuff like that. So yeah, I really honestly remember meeting you, Brad. I was like in the the thick of planting, and we had been in Portland, which if people know Portland. They know that it can be a angsty place, and there there's a lot of folks who are, you know, struggling with with uh, conventional thinking or all kinds of things. And uh, I just remember kind of being weary of so much angst. And then I met this this guy who was new to town, who was such an optimist and was so positive <laughs> and was so like excited about you know, the church. I think you remember you said something like, man, I just love the church. I just love what God <laughs> does with his people. It was like an oasis, man. I was so like, I haven't met anybody in Portland. Who's <laughs> Every, everybody's telling me how much they hate the church. This is amazing. So uh, yeah, really, really thankful, Brad, for for your love for the church that's been steady and yeah, for the partnership that we've had in various capacities over the years. I can remember that whole meeting very vividly in really dark coffee shop in uh, North Portland. And it's amazing to see, yeah, what God did with uh, our, our teamwork together, but then also just through the years, how, yeah, we both stepped into different things. I think often I tell people, because for me, I was, not even a seminary graduate at the time, just a kid with a lot of optimism and a lot of like past talent usage, you know, within the church, like play music, I could talk in front of people, I could do those sorts of things. But it was such a blessing to come into a church planting team and be welcomed like as a teammate and get to actually do uh, like disciple making and be given real responsibility and just my own personal development, I think that that whole experience was unbelievable, even after transitioning to more of like some primary leadership within that same church. It was just really beautiful to experience. So really thankful for that and your intentionality with me throughout it. Yeah, you were always saying, this is we want you to develop as a leader. We want you to get better, and uh, which was totally different than what I'd experienced in any other internship, church staff position or anything like that. So 
yeah, glad that you're on to talk about this topic. No, I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm definitely excited about the topic, so it's good. So I think before we jump in, uh, something we like to do on the podcast is just hear from our guests about uh, what quote unquote ministry or disciple making looks like for you these days, or how is the gospel coming to light in your life? Uh, just really helps us know that we're not a bunch of talking heads. I think that's for the listener that we're just not just experts, you know, pontificating, but, but we're people rooted in real lives, real communities. So, so for you, Duke, what is, what is disciple making or ministry looking like for you? Sure. Yeah. So my family and I recently moved to West Fort Worth, Texas, and so we're kind of getting settled in a new community, getting acquainted with a new church, the city church in, in Fort Worth, and getting acquainted with new school and new sports teams and, and a whole new rhythm of life and new culture. And so there's a lot of newness, but we're in a bit of a pop-up community. So there's a lot of new people moving to Fort Worth, moving to Metroplex in general. And so our community is mostly new home builds and lots of new people who are just sort of settling in. And so our ministry right now looks like certainly the discipleship of our three girls. So I have a 12, mm-hmm. a, a 12 10, and 8-year-old, and we're very, very much in a critical time in their lives and are, are trying to be very intentional in their development. Uh, my wife and I you know, are discipling one another often, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, speaking the truth to each other and, and sharpening each other. And then we're currently forming a missional community around wildlife, which is sort of the middle school expression of young life in our community. So mm-hmm. being a, a new pop-up community, there some of the institutions aren't even there yet. And so wildlife isn't doesn't exist. So we're the sponsor couple to kind of get that kicked off. So we're rallying adults who are mm-hmm. passionate about that uh, to go after uh, middle school students, uh, which our daughter is a part of and her friends and maybe their parents. And so we're doing that and gathering a, a crew and um, yeah, and then just meeting neighbors and friends and getting acquainted with sort of the, the culture and, and the folks that are around. So that's that's right now. The gospel right now, I mean, I, I had a realization this week about the gospel, or maybe more our kids and how we disciple our kids in the church in some ways. But my, my eight-year-old, I was actually taking her through a saturate resource, this little plug. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're working through the story of God for kids. And I realized, so we, we got, we're in the deluge or like the, the flood, you know, and I realized for the first time, she didn't know that all the people died, you know, that got on the ark. So mm. she's read the Jesus Storybook Bible. She's been in countless Sunday school scenarios where she's heard the story. And it's all about, you know, the animals and there's two of them. And it's <laughs> lots of coloring pages and other things. But she never got the real death part of it. Mm. You know, never saw the bodies floating in the water, so to speak, yeah. uh, in, in that story. And, and it hit her for the first time. And she just was kind of rocked by the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and, and that aspect of the gospel. And so I realized that I had to really teach her the bad news of the gospel, the, the weightiness of sin, the holiness of God, the wrath of God. It's the justice of even God being just in his wrath and hmm. and all those aspects of the gospel and, and realized that was new to her, you hmm. know, that the, probably sin and wrath had not been emphasized enough in the gospel hmm. as we had articulated it to her because in her simple grid, it was if God kills people, God's one of the bad guys. Right. Know? And we had to really work at that, which is also what, a, as you know, 20-somethings in Portland say the same thing. <laughs> um, and so I actually beckoned back to leading the story of God in Portland with, with Portlanders and having a huge pushback on that particular story. 
uh, and lots of wrestling about God's justice and about holiness and about human sinfulness and about all the implications of that. And so anyway, that's the aspect of the gospel that I feel was, is being highlighted even this week in my family yeah. and something that was just wrestling through. <laughs> I love that because yeah, I can totally, yeah, see your eight-year-old experiencing that and uh, yeah, being like, how can God be a bad guy? And I also love that that's how you started even ex- answering this question, which is what's disciple making look like for you these days? And you started with your family, which I think is, is something I've learned over the years is even if after all the people, all the guests in your home, all the community members or whatever, when they leave your house and you shut the door and you turn around, you still have souls in your household that are even like the primary gospel community, if you will. There's some life on life uh, happening that you can't get away from. And, and often, uh, sadly, I think we we imagine those people as not the people we're making disciples of. So yeah, so glad you shared that. And I think it's it truly is leadership development as well. I know that you're you're intentionally thinking, how do I prepare my daughters to be what they were created to be and to be able to thrive in the future. And so that's how we'll bridge bridge into the conversation today. And first, Duke, why is leadership development important for the church? There's lots of reasons it's important. And I, and I think most people agree that it's important, but maybe even mm-hmm. it becomes disproportionately important depending on your philosophy of ministry. So mm-hmm. if, if we're in a church that is largely Sunday centric and, um, there's only a f- really a few people on a platform who have to be exceedingly gifted and lots of helpers, you know, then you do need leadership. Uh, but it's a highly attuned, highly developed leader who's doing a lot of the heavy lifting and then, you know, a lot of volunteers. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you decide to be the church in the sense of, you know, saturate and a lot of the thrust of the Soma family and other movements that are are really pressing uh, discipleship down into the everyday and emphasizing the priesthood of all believers. Now leadership development becomes absolutely front and center. It becomes <laughs> really mm-hmm. sink or swim. If you're not able to multiply leaders, the thing doesn't go very far at all because there's really only so many of the the people that are already pretty developed and pretty formed that can lead. And you've got to be able to see more of that, that happening. So, yeah, I think that's, that's there. Most people would agree we need leaders. The question is how many leaders and how are we going to develop them? As, as I was thinking about this, this question, I was even thinking that, you know, the priesthood of all believers is a, you know, a Reformation doctrine mm-hmm. that every Protestant church agrees with. There's no pushback on Ephesians 4. Uh, everybody believes that every member should should be a minister of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Those things are, are pretty clear. Um, even Catholics, in, you know, post-Vatican II, they're even saying something about, you know, the priesthood of all believers. I think it's a little different in terms of its degree, but they're acknowledging that there's something true about every Christian having a ministry mm-hmm. and having a vital part in God's work. And so that that's all settled. The, the real question is not should we release people should we be all about every member ministry, but really how do we, what activities mm-hmm. are we giving to this to actually see it realized? Yeah. Uh, and then from that standpoint, I would say leadership development isn't always that important in our mm-hmm. churches. If, if we look at not what we say on paper, but what we actually give our time, energy and resource to, yeah. it isn't always the activities that would empower the multiplication of the most leaders for the 
the work of ministry, for the work of discipleship. Right. That's such a good point. And I even randomly last night met the president of Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, we sat next to each other in a concert. And it was really funny because I had no idea who he was. And he was, I guess, the most important person in the room. But one of the things that he shared was just how difficult it is for him to cast the vision to churches, that they're the ones that develop leaders and the seminary kind of helps with that because the paradigm has basically been, well, if someone's like really good or really talented or, you know, wants to be a pastor, all we need to do is send them to the seminary and then they will make them leaders. And it's not something that the church is actively involved in besides, well, we just disciple people. And then if they feel called to be a leader or a pastor or a missional community leader, then somebody else will do that work. Which I think kind of leads to a question that I that I often feel many people trying to lead missional communities come up with, which is, can I just make disciples and then leadership just falls into place? Uh, that's something that I hear often. If I just do missional community perfectly, don't I get leaders? Would you agree with that? And, and what would you add? Yeah, in one sense, I would agree with that if the grid for discipleship is robust enough. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as we talk about it often, the Summa family will talk about discipleship from you know complete ignorance of the gospel all the way to a completely mature, godly disciple who can make disciples and lead others into maturity. Mm-hmm. And so if you're thinking of the entire spectrum, yes, yes, it is <laughs> the, the last stages of discipleship. And, you know, a book that influenced me in high school, I was a part of a church that was pretty serious about discipleship and put a lot of emphasis on it. And, and it was always this running joke about, you know, who had the first copy of of the master plan of evangelism by Robert Coleman. And so people would always act like they introduced the rest of the group to the book. And there was just a lot of emphasis given to the, really this, what Coleman breaks down as the things that Jesus did with the 12. Mm-hmm. We don't go through all of them now. We know that he selected them, that he, he associated with them. He spent a lot of time with them, life on life. These are things that saturate Soma, spent a lot of time emphasizing. But as you get to the end of, of the stages, he talks about delegation. Mm-hmm. He talks about supervision and then reproduction. And so we start talking about actually handing ministry off to mature disciples. Mm-hmm them real responsibility and then supervising that, giving feedback, giving instruction, correction, support, encouragement, and then eventually to the place where they're off on their own and having reproduced the work and able to lead it in new places or in new ways. Now you've, yeah, you are completing sort of the full life cycle of, of discipleship. And at some point it stopped being mentoring to maturity and it started I, I sometimes think of it like in terms of the continental divide. Yeah. You know, if you think about the way that water flows downhill in different directions, mm-hmm. there's the uphill work of getting a Christian to get over a merely me-centric view of the world. Mm-hmm. Like the church is for me. I come to the church to get fed. I come to the church to get encouraged. I come to the church to get to receive that kind of thing. And at some point, a Christian gets to the place of maturity where they say, yes, I do need the church. I do need encouragement. I do need to be built up in the body. But also others need my gifts and they need me mm-hmm. to be about that work. And, and they start to look outward and they start to think. And hopefully that happens very, very early. But in increasing measure, yeah. you know, a, a, a disciple starts to be marked by a real concern for others and ways that they can be about helping others along, uh, both those who don't believe, those who do believe. And, and they're actively engaged in discipleship. I think at, at the point at which somebody crosses that divide, we start to say, hey, they're probably primed for something like a leadership development process, however intentional 
or even if it's just as informal as handing them a little bit of responsibility, right. a little delegation, an invitation to an initial community setting to to take on one part of of the work, right. um, even a small part. Um, you're you're starting to to develop them in those terms. Yeah, I think that's so accurate, especially that image of that mountain or continental divide. I can even think about skiing on the continental divide a few times in Canada. And it is, it is a, a pinnacle where the activities you're doing kind of change, even though you're doing similar things, you know, like you're still on the mountains, you're still mountaineering, but you're now going in a different direction. I also think there's a reality of kind of that leadership moment or that process happening at multiple levels. Um, and that's something even as we were working together in Portland, you would bring up a lot is, you know, our, our team or our church is only as good as our incoming freshmen would be something you would refer to a lot, it kind of taking it on like, you know, high school or college athletics of how, how prepared are our newest people. And so I think there's almost a whole bunch of mini cycles of what you just described that, that we often don't think of, which is how do we help a new person in our church be equipped and trained to begin to lead their own life as a disciple, mm -hmm. which is kind of like, how do they get into a missional community? And then there's another a process probably of like, how does a person in a missional community get equipped to be a leader? And then how does that person that's equipped to be a leader of a missional community be equipped to be a pastor, an elder, or uh, some sort of overseer, teammate, church planter, and, and all of those things, um, where it seems like often we you know, churches kind of major on one of those, like, this is how we get people to be volunteers, but not this is how we see all of those micro changes happening. Yeah, which uh, has everything to do with what your target is, you know, what you're deciding that the end result would be. And for each person, you know, what's their, their mm -hmm. intermediate target, I guess, would be a better way to say that. So a new believer's intermediate target is not church planting, but it is mm -hmm. like, crossing that continental divide to think about serving, you know, and, and to grow to a place of, of really understanding that, that life and, and modeling the, the life Jesus modeled and it's calling them into and taking the next steps in that. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's really helpful to, to think of it and breaking it up into demographics, so to speak, throughout the church. And what's the next hill that each person needs to take to continue to move to maturity and to continue to help others move uh, in the same way. Yeah. And so how do leaders grow then if that's, you know, why it's important and even some of that process of what needs to take place, how do leaders grow and what's the best way to holistically care for and develop leaders, which is a lot of what you do with the Selma family. It's a lot of what you get to oversee and, and have done really well. But how does that actually happen? Yeah, I think the, the bedrock, and we'll come back to the priesthood of all believers, really, it does sit on Ephesians 4. And at the very first commitment of a church that's going to be famous for leadership development or family of churches or movement that's going to do that, you have to have the basic mindset or paradigm that uh, there have to be leaders that are designated, usually staff, elder types, like you are and you've been in the church, like I've been in the church and various places uh, where your job and your vocation is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so you understand mm -hmm. that your job is is really measured based on what other people can do, not what you mm. can do. When an eldership and an elder team has that grid in mind, that's probably the most foundational 
aspect of the environment that has to be there for everything else to then flow into all the different areas you mentioned, you know, new disciples growing up in maturity, deacons emerging, missional community leaders emerging, elders emerging, church planners emerging to go be sent to new places. All of that is, is really built on a developmental sort of mindset that says it's not enough that the elder knows how to share his faith. Mm-hmm. His job is actually to equip the everyday saint to share their faith. And I even think the scorecard right. has to change or you say that the elder is evaluated based on what they can do, not what he can do. And mm-hmm. it's not enough that I know how to counsel from the scripture or how to apply the gospel to the heart and gospel fluency. In fact, most of our churches, we have some pretty gospel fluent elders, and that's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. But the work of the elder and the work of the equipper is to to impart that and to share that and yeah. equip the everyday disciple to be fluent in the gospel and to be equipped to, to share their faith with non-believers and, and all those sorts of things. And so that's probably the, the foundation for me is mm-hmm. just a mindset that says the staff doesn't do ministry. The staff equips the everyday disciple for the work of ministry um, right, right mm-hmm. in the middle of yeah, Ephesians 4. So that's, that's really first. And then we could talk about uh, the different ways that that gets emphasis, you know, and how to do that. I'll, I'll stop there. Maybe you have a question in the midst of that. I was actually, I was like writing that down in my phone. I was like, that's right. You know, like our our scorecard, if you will, or our dashboard is is more of what can our people do, not what I can do, mm-hmm. um, which is is really it's a that is a big paradigm shift. Even in some of the success traps that I think a lot of leaders get into, because if if our scorecard is oh man, like people aren't leaving my community. So that's really good. Or people aren't leaving my church. So I'm doing a really good job. But if it's actually, oh, are people in my church able to share the gospel themselves? That that really is a, a completely different marker than I, I can hold it all together. I'm reading a history of the Moravians, the Moravian church, and just mm. how serious they were. It's really interesting to see what John Calvin and Martin Luther and others say about the quality of their disciples. I mean, they have very glowing things to say about the Moravians. But one of the things that mm. Moravians took very, very seriously was equipping and accountability around equipping. And so they had a catechism, you know, for kids, but they actually came around every quarter and checked in on the dads and how well the dads were catechizing their kids by testing the kids. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't ask the dads what they knew about the catechism or if they had been teaching it to their kids. They actually right. tested the kids to see what the kids knew, you know? And, <laughs> and if the kids didn't know it, they just, we might call it church discipline, but they actually took it seriously that this father is hmm. really fulfilling his duty uh, to disciple his children. And so right. I think getting down to something like, and, and it's scary, but holding yourself accountable to what can our people actually do? And, mm-hmm. and setting the bar at something that's that's actual and real, which is different than, hey, did we do a training on that? You know? Right. Because there's a difference. Between, okay. uh, I was reading Ben Sass's book on the vanishing American adult, and he spends a lot of time on the difference between schooling and education. Hmm. You can send your kids to school. That doesn't mean they got an education. Right. You can do an equipping class on any given competency. That doesn't mean your people know how to, how to do it. Um, that, means, right. that means you made an attempt at equipping them to be able to do it. But the real test is, can they do it? And um, hmm. are they equipped? And so did the thing that you did to address it, was it successful or not? Or to what degree was it? Uh, but that, that keeps us really honest in the church. And that, that keeps us sort of focused in on, honestly, putting a bar that's, that's, that's actual and not celebrating early victories because we, you know, we, took, we threw a three-week class on something and, and we'll call it. Totally. Yeah, which I think that is, that's our default 
you know, transfer mode is I'm going to equip these people because we did an eight week study on it or we had this session or I, or I preached on that. I hear that all the time. It's like, well, we preached on that like four years ago. So we're good. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's like 45 minutes. If you're a long winded preacher three or four weeks, five years ago, like, I don't know if that me that translated into your people understanding how to live in community. Sure. But I guess maybe you could speak to a little bit how, or the importance of people being immersed into a context in which they can learn. So, so if it's kind of easy and it's kind of in vogue to be like, Hey, just talking at people doesn't get it done. It doesn't really, that's sending your kids to school, not actually giving them an education, but, but maybe speak to how people actually do receive that education or leaders do get developed where they can actually suddenly they're, they're able to do mm-hmm. the, the work of the ministry. Absolutely. So I'll say this about guys like you, Brad, and I, there's another guy in our family named Dawson Jones and oh, there's women uh, all over the place. Glory Goodrich. I could talk about all kinds of people in our family who are very mm-hmm. developed. They've been formed. I mean, I would almost equate it to like finding a, you know, a primitive person finding an iPhone on the beach and saying like, <laughs> like somebody did something to create something, you know, like this, <laughs> this isn't a few, you know, seashells that bumped together and created this. This is, there was some intentionality, some design, some real work and rigor that went into building this thing. Well, people are the same way when you, when you encounter a disciple who's mature, who's equipped, who's yeah, able to really lead and serve and bless and has the character and all those pieces, you know, somebody took time. And so mm. the very bedrock of yeah, how, how do you make, how do you develop leaders? I, I use the same grid I use for parenting and discipleship, I, I think applies to leadership development. It's really key in one word, it's attentiveness. Mm. <laughs> when you find a kid who is developed holistically at a good, you know, school character, uh, work ethic, perseverance. There's all kinds of things. There was there was attentive adults in that child's life. When you see that, you know, the valedictorian who's just doing really, really well in lots of different areas, there was some attention paid to that person. And at the same time, when you see the worst and saddest stories in our culture, hmm. of, you know, gangs and, and all sorts of horrible uh, incarcerated individuals and why they're there, it's it's often a story of neglect. Uh, it's a story mm-hmm. of complete neglect, fatherlessness, and other other voids that were just not not there. And so, I think we think about leadership development. I think about attentiveness, being attentive to a leader, somebody who has emerged as a leader. They've, they've matured to the place where you can see them looking outward. They're committed to discipleship. Mm-hmm. They're committed to the gospel. They they're pursuing the holiness of God. Uh, they're powered by the Spirit of God. They really want to get it right. And somebody then comes alongside and is. And maybe I shouldn't even say comes alongside. Maybe that's there's been people alongside them all the way, but now mm-hmm. there's a, another graduated level of intentionality mm-hmm. to the attentiveness that starts to say, "Hey, I want to start to give you more. Uh, I want to start to invest more in in who you are." And for us in the Soma family, we really feel like to do attentiveness, you have to do something like immersive development. Um, meaning mm-hmm. you have to be immersed in the context. You have to be spending a lot of time together. In fact, we have two organizations right now who are basically coming to us and saying, hey, you guys are the priesthood of all believers kind of people. You know, so much mm-hmm. kind of that, that movement. We really, really think that's what the church needs. We think that's what our movement, our network needs. How does, how does that rub off on our network? 
You know, how do we get more of that mixed into our flow? And, and it's funny, sometimes people say, Hey, can we, could you guys create a training module or a curriculum? <laughs> and saturate does a lot of that. And that's helpful. It's a part, you know, I don't want to say mm-hmm. that content isn't, isn't value. I think content is helpful. One of the things I love about the saturate podcast is you're in fleshing a lot of it in story. Uh, but really mm-hmm. the, the most effective thing is for those stories to actually be in locally where, you're seeing those things firsthand. You're experiencing those things. And so for us, yeah, immersions are huge. So we do Soma yeah. School. We've had 1,200 people go through Soma School. They spend seven days in a Soma church. Um, yes, hearing all the theology, getting some really solid whiteboard time on all the content of the gospel, the power and purpose, how it forms a new people, how these new people make disciples in the everyday, and all the implications of missional communities. And, and we do that content for sure. But yeah. the value is their ability to live in a missional community for seven days, you know, to see it worked out. Honestly, to see it demystified <laughs> where they realize like, <laughs> hey, these people are doing pretty mundane things. Like that's I could pull that off. Like that's not <laughs> that's not crazy to just invite some friends over and watch a game and get to know them and build some relationship and share the gospel. Like I could do that. Um, and, and even you see the mess of it. Like, hey, this isn't like a perfectly well-oiled machine. There's some things they don't do that well i guess these are just human beings that are imperfectly pursuing discipleship you know it's it's not that they're they've got the secret sauce or they've got something we don't have and so soma school is huge we have immerse which is really our college internship summers program where they're immersed for a summer in a soma church i i personally want to see that increase 10 20 fold in the soma family love to see yeah. two 300 college students every summer in a soma church uh, that's really the top of the pipeline and then they at one week of the summer minister to high school students so they're even getting more and more of a gospel centered ecclesiology and understanding mission every day and discipleship and then our soma sending which is church planting is a 21 month church planting residency and a big part of that's immersion in a local church so they're leading a missional community maybe even multiplying a missional community and beginning to mm-hmm. coach another missional community leader as a key part of those 21 months. And then all oh, that's being supervised to go back to sort of Robert Coleman's language and giving feedback and, and seeing how it goes when they do that, redirecting, encouraging, that kind of thing. And then we do a somewhat immersive uh, strong leader cohorts, which are really about soul care, pastoring our pastors, getting them away three times a year for offsites to really drill down into health and marriage and some of their limits as humans and leaders. And again, that's face-to-face. We don't try to do that over video chat or phone. Um, and being, <laughs> something about being together enables us to to be formed and and to be attentive to one another and to our own long-term health and development. So anyway, yeah, I think if you, if you had to look at Soma's history, I think whoever was first to really prioritize <laughs> immersion, whether that was, you know, I, I, just, I could guess at names, but it would be pointless but uh whoever pounded the table and said no everything's going to have to be immersion i think is really central and that's what i shared with these these kind of network leaders i just said hey we're really if you really want to do this we're probably going to have to set up some immersive experiences and just invite people into uh seeing this in fleshed um we're going to do the content please continue to download saturate content you know listen to the podcast (laughs) like read the books do all that that's that's really good but you're going to need to see it and you're going to need to, mm-hmm. to wrestle with it. And and that's going to be really central in working its way out. I think that's so true. And one of the things that I've observed many times is that as a person that writes a lot of content, yeah, for as long as I can remember now, I've been writing stuff that people use and that content 
can be helpful as a catalyst, almost like a movie trailer. It can catalyze people to be like, oh, I want to be part of that or I want to like watch that movie. But and our content saturates content, Soma's content can be really helpful for that way. Even, a, a, you know, think locally, a, a sermon can be that. But then it can't actually teach people how to live where they get an education, to use your example, Duke. Um, that, that would require life on life and an immersion kind of experience. And then content can also help on the back end of explaining things, kind of like the director's cut, where hmm. it's like, hey, you saw all this stuff happen. Now, when you read through this book, you can be like, oh, that's what was going like whenever that guy was talking about conflict and when this this leader that I was observing was kind of asking all these prodding questions, what he was doing was gospel fluency. Like, I didn't know that. But now I know that that's what I I saw kind of like so it's it's either the the trailer or the director's cut kind of explaining what was happening in the background. And I think that, you know, just to your point, that's a really important thing for all of us to understand that for us to see leaders developed, they're going to have to spend time with us mm-hmm. at, at any level, whatever it is, uh, whether it's a church planter level, elder level, just uh, basic discipleship. People are going to have to spend time watching us with our kids and in our homes, and they're going to have to see some of this stuff. You can't just get a download um, at least not yet. Elon Musk hasn't created the the download <laughs> chip. Uh, thankfully, no. I like I, I love your metaphor. Yeah, I think that's a that's a real developmental metaphor of you know get exposed, get basic awareness, and come with some categories and come with a grid and a basic orientation into what we're talking about. Now come and see it, work it out, test it. You know, kick the tires and then go away and reflect and go back and mm-hmm. to now engage the content from an, even another vantage point. And so I think that's really vital. And it it almost plays on. I don't know if Brad, you read the book. A lot of us in Soma have read it, and a lot of people elsewhere. But James K. A. Smith's book, "You Are What You Love," yeah. and really some of his other books get after that idea that we're not merely thinking things, but we're holistic people. So we're more than mm-hmm. I mean, he calls brains on a stick. And so content is important is not throwing out content. We we're not throwing out the brain. Uh, we're mm-hmm. saying that the brain is an important part of the human person and human formation, but it's not the only part. There are other parts that have to be built out, but the Western academic education system, which has largely been taken and swallowed whole by the church. And as we think about discipleship and leadership development, hasn't always been super reflective about that and mm-hmm. has approached discipleship and leadership development simply as a content dump, as if people were merely thinking things and we just had to dump the right content in right. and we would get mature disciples who could make disciples. Um, and so right. it's more than that, but not, yeah. not less than that. Right. More. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter if the content is about missional community and life on life and life and mission or any of those things. And even if the content is that, that dump will not be enough or that download will not be enough, which is just something I, I have to remind myself of often as someone who likes to teach and talk at people. So, um, so that's really great, Duke. And, and just to, for our listeners out there, I just highly recommend going on to the Soma website. It's uh, wearesoma.com. And uh, you can also connect with them on social media and you can follow Duke on social media too. But just to explore some of those equipping opportunities. So maybe you're someone, if you're listening, who's read all the books and watched all the videos, and then you're still wondering, like, I just don't get it. 
that's probably because you've just watched the trailer and you need a, an immersion kind of experience. Or maybe you're thinking, man, I'd love to see this next generation, if you're a youth minister even, really kind of grasp this, connect and, and see how maybe you could be part of an, an immersion over the summer. Or if you're thinking about planting a church, there's some ascending. There's, there's a bunch available out there. And so I challenge you to check that out. We have four, right, this year, Soma Schools, Duke? Yep. There's four Soma Schools. There's going to be one in Spokane, Washington, one in LA with Brad and others there, one in Nashville, Tennessee, and one in Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia. So, or actually Chesapeake, Virginia. So yeah, we'll, we'll have four. And yeah, those are great opportunities. You can find those on the Soma website, Brad referenced. And yeah, they're a great opportunity. In fact, Brad went to Soma School. I went to Soma School. <laughs> Many people, like I said, 1,200 people have been yeah. you know, a week immersed in this that have all been, some of us wrecked for life for any, <laughs> any other way of doing the church. And I don't think that happened by reading a book. Mm-hmm. And I had read some books. I'd read Alan Hirsch and Chester and Timmis and all kinds of other books that were getting after some of the concepts. Yeah, that, I think that's a great opportunity for those who are kind of leaning in that way. So yeah, check all of those out or or another big takeaway for you might just be thinking, how do we develop leaders ourselves and how do we really engage? Even if you're just a community leader, a missional community or a small group, whatever you would want to call it, uh, maybe a big takeaway is like, how often do I allow and think through critically and, and have attentiveness towards the development of the other people? How am I basing my success or fruitfulness based off what they can do, not just what I can do. So that, those are some of the, the big takeaways today. Duke, thanks for uh, hanging out and uh, giving me some of your time and sharing that with uh, the rest of the world. So appreciate you, brother. Yeah, appreciate you, brother. Thanks so much for having me on. That'll do it for the Saturate podcast. As always, you can give us a rating or review, however you're engaging with the podcast on whatever platform, mostly because that helps people find this content and uh, know what it's all about. So your reviews and, and your feedback is also always really helpful. You can send us questions on things that we should cover in the podcast. Uh, send those questions through social media or the email hello at saturatetheworld.com. Thanks for joining us and listening in, and we'll be talking again soon. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.